stick off the glass. Crosby down low, kicked it up to his plate. Takes it in behind the net. Get it across, goal! Connor Seri in overtime. The Penguins' first lead of the night is a permanent one. Mike Sullivan had the feel, and it was Sherry, and it was Crosby. What is going on, Andy? How are you doing today, buddy? Steve Bennett. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, we missed a week, but uh, always good to uh, catch up with you. Let's, uh, well, we let's were... talk some NHL hockey here. Yeah, we were going to record last week, and then cold November rain struck the uh, northern suburbs of Buffalo, New York, and I did not have power for 36 hours, which is the first time since we've been in our house. We built our house... In 2010, is the first time where the power's been out for more than 10 minutes since we've been here. And what did uh, you do? Did you have to light candles and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, my my. Well, the first, the first probably seven hours was kind of daylight, and then it got dark around five, and we went to bed around 11. So like during that time, yeah, we had candles, and like I kept using the stupid flashlight on my phone. The the most frustrating thing is every time my phone got down to like six percent, I had to go in the car and, ch- and charge it for a little while, so it was back to twenty or twenty five. And then, okay. Okay. yeah, and then eventually my father in law brought us a generator, which was good because I did, I I was having to go down in the basement every hour and bail out the sub pump. I bet you'll look back on this with fondness, though, like when you when you were sort of thrust into. A different environment in a way, and you know, let's call it colonial times for lack of a better word. I had to pretend I, I was. I bet that I bet that was one of your most uh, aware and imaginative times you've you've had in quite a while. Uh, I had to act like the I man of the was, house, you know. Like I had, yeah. to, I had to be in charge of everything. Like, oh, there's no power. Yeah, I need to do this, to, like, and you had, to, you had to figure out like, how am I going to get power to my family right now? How am I going to exactly? How am I going to? you know, uh, light on them and, and, uh, you know, safe. I mean, imagine what it was like in the 12, you know, 1300s or something, you know, you're a man of a house, you have no electricity whatsoever. I don't know Um, if you've ever thought about this, but if you could have been born in any year in the last 150, do you ever think about what year you would pick? I actually have thought about it. Well, uh, so that would go back to, uh, what, um, eighteen sixties. So uh, yeah, I say would, like post Civil War, uh, like from that point on. Yeah. Uh, well, I would probably want to be born in like the nineteen twenties, sort of uh, start of the Gilded Age. But then uh, you got to go uh, to World War Two. Right. Right. No, no, that, that wouldn't be any fun at all. Yeah. And, and the tail end of World War One. Yeah, uh, but, you know, if you really think about it, like, 
you know, the people who survived World War II and, you know, went through it, the greatest generation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, I think you'd, you'd, you'd think back, like, with just cherished memories in a way. I think you'd have to survive it first, which might not have always happened. Um, but, like, you know, I've thought, I think about this stuff a lot, you know, like how easy I've had it in my life with no, I haven't been called up to any war. You know, I, haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't fought in a war. Um, you know, imagine what, what it really was like as a, a 20, a 30 year old, 25 year old, 30 year old person, 19, 19, uh, you know, 39, 40, when you get selected into the, the service and you've got to leave your family behind who has no electricity or very little electricity and you got to fight the Nazis. I mean, you know, listen, <laughs> that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, those guys were the greatest generation. Um, so, but if, if, if I had to go before that, I'd really like to live in like the 1700s when, when the country was first being started, I think, I think I'd like to be part of the George Washington brigade of, of people just started in the country and, and living by candlelight. and Yeah, it's just too know, primitive for me. 28 weeks to get from, you know, Boston to Philadelphia on, a, on horseback. I mean, just, just just imagine that, you know. So that's that's where I'd probably like to imagine myself living. But I think I'd probably just cry like a baby after two days and just, uh, you know, not survive. Yeah, I would probably pick 1970 to be the year I was born. 1970. Why? Because I feel like it's kind of the best of both worlds in a sense. Like, so I'm born in 1970. That makes me 10 in 1980. You know, 20 in 1990. 1990s a great time to be 20 to be going to college. There's no wars to worry about at that point. Uh, it's it's a good economy. It's a good chance to start my career right around then. And I'm yeah. a perfect age for the music I really love to be in it from the beginning. You know, to get to see a bunch of early 90s Pearl Jam shows at an appropriate age. And also, it's a good mix of you never have to live too primitive of a life, but you also get a good chunk of years before the technology really takes over life. Yeah. You know, and also, I think just for the culture, I just think that was kind of the sweet spot. Um, a really good time. Yeah. If I look like at was... 10, 20, 30, and 40, I just like being that age in all those years. I, I mean, I was born in 1980, so it's only 10 years different, but if I was picking the year of the last 100, that'd probably be the one I'd pick. Yeah, I was I was born in 65, so um, I, I actually really happy with the year I was born. Like, I got to experience just a little bit of the tail end of the Beatles. Like, I remember being in a movie theater in 1969 as a four-year-old kid watching the Yellow Submarine Beatles movie in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the, you know, coming of age, so to speak, in the, you know, 70s when you've got, you know, a lot of trash culture, but you've also got a lot of really great movies and music being made then. And then you go into the 80s, it's kind of a a uh, real teenager, college kid, like great, great, just great culture in a way. Everything's sort of blossoming in the electronic age, MTV. Um, it was really fun to be part of that first MTV, like cable package that came out in 1980. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, but then you get to born, be born in this age. It's like I think everybody just takes it so for granted. Like you've just got an iPhone and you've got instant communication with everything in the world, and that's just the way it was. It definitely was not like that when I was a kid. All right. Starting out, with that being said, kind of a, a fun thing to kind of open up on. I want to talk to you about a couple things real quick. I don't want to get into a nuts uh, rabbit hole with them, but I want to go over them real quick. The first thing. I'm sure most of you have heard or read Adrian's thoughts on this topic uh, in exhaustion on uh, on BSN. But quickly for this platform, since we've talked about it so many times on here, the Avalanche finally traded Matt Duchesne since yep. we last recorded. Uh, it wasn't to the Penguins or to the Bruins or to any other of the teams that we really talked about on here, uh, but it was to Ottawa. So quickly, and again, you can find more of Adrian's response to this at a deeper level at BSN Denver in podcast and written form. But it's early, obviously, but how do you think they did just on paper? Like when you saw the trade, what what's kind of your instinct with, for as patient as they were, how did it turn out? I think it turned out as good as you could probably hope without getting a name player in the in the trade um you got seven pieces right you you don't remember how joe sackick was made fun of in so many uh national hockey outlets saying gosh joe sackick is off his rocker asking for three pieces of a player a pick and a prospect That'll never happen. Joe Sackick needs to get into the real world. Well, what happened? He got seven pieces. Now, I know. Just um, lesser quality. Uh, obviously, not the quality that was but, floated but around. Have you watched have you, Steve, I know you probably have not watched him play in the first two games. But if you did watch Samuel Gerard play in the first two games as an Avalanche player, I think you'd be changing your tune just a little bit. Now that's oh, I don't have a tune at all. So That's I don't. Right. I don't have a so tune at all. I, I mean, I'm open what, still. I you didn't even have any power, so right. Yeah, I'm not even gonna get on you for that. But if go next time you get a chance, go go click on Samuel Gerard's highlights on NHL.com if there are any or whatever. If you can somehow navigate that awful website to find it, just find just just watch Samuel Gerard play a little bit. And I think you'll be like, oh, geez, yeah, he he might be a real player. Beyond him, uh, they've got kid named Vladislav Kamenov, who's being recalled uh, tonight from San Antonio to the Avalanche. A little BSN Denver scoop there. I just posted about 20 minutes ago. He will will be called up. He's got two NHL games of credit to his uh, resume with Nashville. He's going to join the Avalanche and play against Capitals Thursday night. So that's two of the seven. They've got three picks that have yet to be made. First round pick, second round pick, third round pick. That's all in two or an 18 draft, one in 19 draft. Uh, so you add Gerard Kamenev, Andrew Hammond, who is a nothing goalie right now, a backup, not even playing in the NHL, but he did go 21 and two at one point in his NHL career. So I think anytime you get a guy like that as a potential just throw in, it's, it's okay. And uh, there's another kid that I'm forgetting about. But, uh, uh, the kid yeah. from BU. So, 
The kid from right, right, yeah. right. The kid from EU. Shane Bowers. Shane Bowers. Yeah, Shane Bowers. Yeah. Right. The, thank you. He's probably the one I knew the most about in the sense yeah. that you know he played in the USHL for Chicago. He had two really good OHL or uh, USHL seasons, and yeah. um, he's at BU playing center. It's a great place to develop. You know, he's gonna get he's gonna get to yeah, play against the best in college hockey on a good team. He's gonna play important minutes. He was a, what a first round pick, talent of the first round. He got picked, and um, he's got upside. You know, he's he's uh, he's uh, someone that you have to be patient on. I think he'll probably. Spent at least two or three years at BU, but he's a guy who can uh, can definitely be a solid NHL player for them if he develops appropriately. And BU is yeah, a great so, BU is a great spot to do it. So just let me ask you, as a guy who's on the periphery of watching this from the outside, like, did you really expect Joe Sacker to get seven pieces for Matt Duchesne, a guy who could be UFA after next year and wasn't even playing very well last year? No, I think it was smart. Like I said, I told you, I yeah. thought for the most part, I think Sacker's a pretty smart guy. We, we had that joke the last time I think we were we were doing this, and I thought it was yeah. smart to get it to be a three-way trade. I think that was the, the most brilliant part of it. Instead of one team, you know, he got a little bit from both, and, right. you know, it just it worked out well, and uh, it made a lot of sense to me. What didn't make sense to me was him being on the team. You know, I, I, felt, I felt all along that it's something yeah. that, that needed to get done, uh, and to be able to get it done, not have to wait, for the trade deadline or next year's draft or anything like that to get it done now and to get a decent haul. And I mean, he'll get to make a few picks, you know, so he'll get a chance to draft. He'll get a chance to control his destiny in this a little bit, you know, by picking a few guys Uh, and three more guys. Yeah. Three more guys. And like you said, uh, Gerard so far, the returns have been good and you see how that goes. And Bowers is another guy, you know, who he's, he's, he's something that, can be a help to the team down the road. I, I thought it. I thought it made sense. I just thought it looked right to me. You know. Yeah, and I think I think the lesson learned here is that you know patience does does finally pay off if you really stick it out. I mean, he waited a long time for this. Um, I guess the but, uh, the complaint would be is that <clears throat> if you were going to make one, was just that there wasn't a name in the trade that comes to them that kind of jumps off yeah, the page. Right, it was a quality Gerard, more than... I think, Gerard will be, I think Gerard will be a name well, that's, too long. Yeah, that's, he's, that's he's, yet to be seen. He, um, he's, got, he's got skill with the puck that you can't teach. Uh, I know it'll take a while. He's going to definitely have to adjust and learn to uh, more of the NHL game, but uh, trust me when I tell you he's he's got talent. He's got... He's got skill with the puck that, that you don't see very often. So uh, he's small. He's a five ten guy, lefty. Uh, but he, you know, with his skill, you can't really you can't really get to him very easily. He's going to deke you and move away from you. I think I think that has the potential to be like a huge home run of a deal. That said, I still think Matt Shane's going to play well with Ottawa. I think he's a good fit for them. And for a team that <clears throat> thinks it has a chance to win right now, I think he was a good he's a good fit for them. So you know they they could do something really damaging. Like they, that's a good team in Ottawa. Just watching them over the weekend, I, they're the most boring fans in the league, the most boring arena in the league, the most boring management and everything else in Ottawa. But you know they they have a very good team and. Uh, 
you know, it won't surprise me if they they can do something in the playoffs. And, and they, they're one. I, mean, I guess they're one quote unquote goal from the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, yeah, I I yeah. almost forgot that they went to double overtime of Game Seven in the Eastern Conference Finals yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. I forgot too. I know. Well, and uh, well, with so, that said, and but I don't think Duchesne is. I definitely think the Avs got full value for Matt Duchesne in this situation as best as best as they could have hoped for without getting, you know, uh, a, just an absolute no brainer blue chip prospect in back. But I think Gerard may prove to be that guy in the end anyway. So we'll see. So with that said, I had reached out to our audience and asked them, for some topics that they might want us to debate. And one that came up, and again, we're going to go through it quickly, but one that came up again, and I thought it was a good time to bring it up after talking about the Duchesne trade, is uh, Graham Rendell on Twitter asked us, so what if the Sabres and Avs just both lost the ROR trade? Yeah. Uh, Is that possibly what the outcome was? And look, this is something that we talk about at nauseum. Uh, and we both have, I guess, if you're the avalanche guy in this debate and I'm the Sabres guy, I think we both, you know, you will say like, oh, well, this trade isn't going to be called until we know how good, you know, JT Confer is. And if I'm the Sabres guy, I'm going to say, well, I traded for Ryan O'Reilly to be the number two center uh, to Jack Eichel on some playoff teams down here. And... If they never make the playoffs anyway, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even matter. So, I think as of right now, yeah, it's probably a losing trade for both teams. I certainly don't think either team can say they want it. Yeah, I don't either. I think I think Buffalo still has a leg up on, on the deal. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly scored, I think, his sixth goal last night. He's getting it back together. He's a... It's a quality player, and he's 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 had a couple of really you know good seasons with Buffalo. The Avalanche really haven't had much of anything tangibly quality at the NHL level yet, except for a few games here and there from Comper and Zadarov. Zadarov is like a borderline player right now with the Avs, just barely not even making the lineup. Um, Every night, right? He's, he's barely. Like, he's like a number a seven almost. Yeah, like he's a number taking seven. Taking a step back here, he's looked slow. I didn't realize quite how. You know, I'm not just talking about speed with his skates, but I'm talking about decision making ability with his mind. It's a little slow at times, I think. So he doesn't play a quick game in almost any sense of the word with body or mind, and that's that's a huge worry here. He's not even, you know, he's a healthy scratch, for God's sakes, this weekend in Sweden. Uh, and a couple games before that, I think it was three games in a row, he was a healthy scratch. JT Confers, really good player. I think he's still going to potentially be the best player, but he, he's taken a couple of mysterious, like, nights off recently. He didn't look good in Sweden. I know he's coming back from a broken thumb, but uh, he didn't look good at all. Got outplayed by everybody he was on the ice with. 
He probably came back a little too soon from a stub injury. I still think he's going to be like a 15, 20 goal guy, 20 assists, and real strong leadership ability. So I, I still think the Avs have got a good guy in him. AJ Greer, the other piece they got, looks like to be a career borderline guy. Likes to play a physical, tough game, but he might be playing in the wrong era for the way he wants to play. So, uh, well, for now, yeah. I'm still going to call it a push. It's, I think it's a push. I think the Sabres still win the trade a little bit by right now. I mean, the Sabres made the trade. It was a smart trade for them to make, whether it works out or not, because they had two identical prospects in Zadarov and Ristolainen, so they had they had some capital they could move there. They desperately needed a number two center because at the time they made the trade, they only had they only had Jack Eichel for five minutes, if they even had him yet. I don't remember what happened first. It was the same night, but uh, and they had plenty of money to sign the guy. So I mean, they had plenty of cap space and a billionaire owner. So it made sense, and it will always make sense whether it exactly works out or not. But with that said, we did get a couple other cool ones from listeners. Let's go through some of these. We don't have a ton more. We'll do about fifteen, maybe twenty more minutes. Um, but let's go through a few of these. We got, uh, at H underscore M underscore Denver on Twitter wants to know what we think about this. Will the NHL ever make all games worth three points, three for regulation win, two for an OT win or one for an OT loss? What do you think about this? I think this, I don't understand why they don't do it. Um, I would be all, all in for this. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, three points for a regulation win. Regulation wins are the hardest uh, way to win a game in the NHL, so why not make that worth the most? And maybe we'll make for an exciting set of teams just sitting on games. You know, maybe they'll and happy to take the point. Maybe you see some teams be more aggressive. And um, overtime, no matter what, is a gimmick now. Whether it's three on three, that's a gimmick. Or if you get to the shootout, that's a gimmick. Uh, so I think it's just strange that that's worth as much as winning a regulation game. That's my opinion. What do you think? Uh, I would care more if, if this were easier to more lines of demarcation. You can argue the fact that it already does. It, regulation wins do matter more because they technically they do. If you look at the standings, you you get more. Yeah, but that really only happens if it's a tiebreaker, right? I mean, right? But you have to be tied for that to matter. But that matters. That matters. Yeah, barely. Everybody's so bunched up in the NHL with points. Of, at the end of the year. That, How many that, times that has that been the difference for a playoff spot? I can't name that right here, of course, but uh, Not many. It, it matters. It, it's Barely. a percentage. It's a, it's a percentage of, of points too uh, that matter. So it's not just strictly number of ROW wins. It's a it's a percentage, and it gets yeah, it gets complicated. I don't know. I don't know. If there's ever going to be a, a great way to solve the NHL's. Uh, point system when there's always a point for 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 not winning, like that doesn't happen in the NBA. So would you just go to two and zero? I don't think so because I think hockey's a tougher game to, to play than the NBA, and it's it's just tougher to score goals. So it's it's just I think you need to get some credit for a game where you play sixty minutes of even even with the other team. It's just. It's so much harder to have an, uh, an overtime game in the NBA based on point, you know, 48 points, 48 minutes and points every second, as opposed to a, a game where it's you got to shoot it past a guarded man with pads on into a very small net. So 
All right, uh, so you're the commissioner. You what? What's your What's no your system? What, you're gonna get bitching from either side, and I don't. You know, I don't. Just, I don't know. I just, yeah, I probably would like to see the third column of the NHL standings done away with. Remember, it used to be four, four columns right. not too long ago. Yeah, four, thirty-eight wins, twenty-six losses. Three overtime, whatever, and then the fourth column. I don't even remember what it was. Shootout like, losses, right? Right, shootout losses. So it was like 16, 24, 8, 5. Like, the joke was hut, hut, right? Right. I, so in a perfect world, it would be great to have just two columns. But uh, it's it's. I think that hockey's still – it's too it's too easy to argue that you know, you're just cheating teams that – uh, played really well for 60 minutes and then you didn't get anything at all. I, I probably am in So why not reward the teams who play good for 60 minutes and I get a win? Have, well, um, I think you still do. I don't. But it's, it's not as easy to to say it. But I still think, you know, look at teams that get the most regulation wins. They still generally more often than not win every single tiebreaker and, and go on to go on to regular season glory and and whatever award you need. So, All right, final word on this. So it's just the base that we'll always have in the NHL. So in the end, if you're the commissioner, you're just keeping it the same then on this one? One word answer and then we'll move on. Uh, no, I'd go with uh, – I'd try out the regulation three-point thing. I'll go with it. <laughs> okay. You argue against it for 10 minutes and then in the end you go with it. All right. right. Uh, from DSing33, one of our best fans, he wants to know – and this, I think anyone who's listened for a second knows where I'm at on this, but he asks college hockey versus major junior. It's basically what he's asking. So for me, I'll go first. If you are born in the United States, there is absolutely no reason for you to play in the major juniors. You should stay here. If you're a superstar, let's say you're Jack Eichel, you can at 16 go to Michigan and play on the development team. And then you can, as a true freshman, play at one of the Find high learning institutions across the country until you're ready to go pro. If you're a fourth or fifth round pick, you can play in the USHL uh, when you're ready, then go to college. Uh, and if you're uh, someone who's going to go free agent, basically the same thing. Play in the USHL and then go to college. Uh, look, at it's to me to be able to play, especially for the undrafted guys, you know, if you take an undrafted guy who went to the to the the OHL, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're not an, an NHL player when you get to the OHL, you probably won't be an NHL player. But college gives you a chance. You get those four years. You get to play a little bit later, older, get a chance if you're a late developer. And I'm all for the college system. I think it's the best way to go. There's, it's not 1970 anymore. There's no reason to play in the OHL uh, or the QHL unless you just can't get into school. Then I guess I understand. But... Uh, uh, presuming there's a college that will take you, uh, that's the way I would I would say you go, no matter how good or uh, borderline you are uh, in terms of NHL prospects. I, I think I'm I think I'm in total agreement. I I sort of defer to you in this argument because I don't I don't know enough about the college system and the junior. I mean I I know the systems, but I don't probably followed as well as you do. So I defer here. Uh, 
What what happens to the Canadian kid though that's born in Canada who doesn't have great grades? Oh, if you're born in Canada, I, I was talking mostly about if you're born in Canada, that system might make more sense for you. I mean, because for one, you like okay. you might have dreamed your whole life to play for the Brampton Battalion because you grew up there. So I what if you're what if you're a kid who just all the power to you grades as a U.S. kid? Right, and I said that if you, if you can't get okay. into college, I get it. All right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you know, if well, school is just not for you. I get it. I think I'm always on the side of anybody go, getting to take the college experience and, and taking that as your life experience. I think that's a better way to live your life. Uh, now, if you're a super phenom who's Connor McDavid, and you, there's no sense wasting four years of college if, if you're really going to be. Uh, right, but you don't have to, right? Jack Eichel only played right. one year. Right. Paul Cree right. only played one year. Jonathan Taves only played one year. You don't have to, you're not committing to four years. Right, right, but so no, I'm. I guess I'm total agreeing with you. Then I, uh, I do think the junior system looks a little more outdated as we get into 2017 and, and beyond. It's, it's, uh, it's not as, uh, it's just, it's, there's too many other outlets for you for a good player to 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 to, to grow. And uh, if he takes a couple more years, that's okay. Look at Alex Kerfoot with the Avalanche series. I think he's 20, 22, 23. But you can you can definitely tell the four years at Harvard has made a difference in his poise and his demeanor and everything coming into this year. Yeah, right? I mean, you he was an undrafted guy. Came out of yeah, yeah. So and I mean, just, and, well, no, he was drafted by the Devils. Oh, was he? Uh, was he seventh round or something like that? He was late. Yeah, draft, he, right? was, he was drafted by the Devils and uh, uh, didn't sign there, so he goes back as a UFA this year and he signed with Colorado. All right, that's and, right. And, I remember that now. Sure, turned down. He turned down offers from a few teams, uh, Devils being the biggest suitor. But uh, you can definitely tell all the poise and, the, and everything he's learned from. But, you know, he's a he's probably a special case. Like four years of college, how many guys are going to play four years at a university and and, and really be a, a bona fide NHL player in a way? Like isn't that going to still be on the low end probably? If you haven't proven yourself by four years of college, are you really going to make it as an NHL player? I'm just asking. No, you might not, but there are examples like Mark Janikowski for uh, the Flames. He was the 21st pick in round one in 2012, and I believe he played four years at Providence, and he's playing this year, um, first year as a Flame, and he has three goals, one assist, four points, plus two. Um, So that's an example of... You know, they picked him from in the first round from I think Stansted, which is a prep school in Canada. So he's a long way from the NHL. You know, when they picked him, so he went to Providence. He developed for four years, and you know, he came, you know, came from college. I think one thing that maybe a four-year college player has another advantage is they might not have to play a year in the AHL. You know, that fourth year of college could maybe be like an AHL year for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the way it was with Kerfoot, and even you know JT Confer didn't play a lot in the AHL before he got called up. So yeah, uh, for sure, I'm almost I mean, positive Jankowski played all four years. It was three if he didn't. I'll look it up, but I'm almost positive uh, he played four. I won a national championship at um, you know at at uh, Providence there, so worked out for yeah. him for sure. Canadian no, I, kid too. So and, and the U.S. college system has gotten so much better, right? As far as coaching development, everything is so much better than the USA now. As far as development in college hockey, so 
Uh, I agree. It's much it's much better to to have that. Like you're getting four years of really quality hockey when you go to a school like Denver, um, all these other schools that are it's only like still what thirty six Division one schools in the country. No, uh, 59. Almost, 59. 59? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, shit, I thought it was 30. 59. Okay, sorry. So, but still, not a lot of Division One schools in hockey. So, I mean, almost all of them have good money, right? Yeah, so good, here, good program. here's Jankowski. He's kind of the case that you were asking about. He is September 13th, 94. He's from Hamilton, Ontario. He goes round one, 21st overall in the 2012 draft. He plays four years in Providence Hockey East. He goes from 18 points as a freshman to 40 points as a senior. Uh, finishes out the year of his senior year in the AHL. Uh, gets eight games in under his belt in the AHL You know, at the tail end of that year. Uh, then plays the 2016-17 season in Stockton uh, where he gets 56 points as an AHL player and now he's a full-time NHL player the next year. So Yeah. Let me ask you too, though. As as a that that's great. That sounds perfect. But but it looks like some of the Ivy League schools are falling behind a little bit as far as, and they're always going to be that way, maybe because they can't compete with scholarships. But you're seeing the Dartmouths, Princeton's, you know, Columbia's of the world. I don't even know if Columbia has a team. No, but they're fa- they're falling behind. Behind a who? Bit, aren't they? No. Well, Harvard. Harvard Yale. was in the Frozen Four like last year. Who are right. they behind? No, I'm saying they're falling behind. Like you don't see any good players coming out of Dartmouth and Princeton anymore. Um, you know <laughs> these Division One schools that. I mean, that if, are, you're, if you're going to cherry pick your your, I mean, Cornell, Harvard, and Yale are consistently. Well, that, that's why I predict, asked. Predicting, no, no. That's why I asked because it seems like those schools that are sort of just still like all about academics and stuff. They're are they falling behind a little bit as far as the hockey world goes? No, or no, no. Okay. Flat, flat out, no. Um, I'm a Dartmouth hockey fan, and I just I know they kind of you know haven't been very good for a while. So I've been you know I know they had a few players come out of there in the last you know tail end of the last few years, like David Jones, Ben Lovejoy, and you know uh, um, uh, what's his face, the guy who's played for like twelve teams. Um, I'm forgetting his Lee name, Stemp- of course. Yeah. Lee Steps, of course, Stemper. Yep. And they also had uh, Matt Lindblad, who was a really good prospect in the Bruins organization, but had shoulder injury, had to retire. Uh, no, Dartmouth is fine. Their program is fine. It's not as good as Yale or Harvard, but it's fine. And it's a bad time to make the Ivy League's falling behind argument when I mean Yale just won a national championship, and Harvard has been in the frozen was in the frozen I, four I last year. Out, I meant to say, except for those two schools, like Harvard. Well, you Yale have to count was... Cornell too, because Cornell might have be the best pipeline to the NHL of all of them. Hmm. So yeah, I guess I'm falling behind in my Ivy League. Right. Yeah, the answer is no. Well, Let's move on. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we got to shout out to our boy Kenny for getting call ups. So uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he uh, he's got to get just got to get a little confidence and get going a bit. Um, all right, a couple more. Fire Wagon has a few uh, interesting ones. Uh, first, he mentions that U.S. minor hockey will be blowing down icing. Uh, what he means is that they are no longer going to allow you to clear the zone for free on the PK. So the hope is that the players will have to make a play with the puck instead of just clearing it out. Hmm. Um, 
that's a deve- that's a development thing. You got to give that five years to see how that works. I don't know if you remember, but in the late nineties, USA Hockey started the no tag up offsides, where they yep. had the same idea, where they thought that the defenseman would have to regroup the puck instead of just clearing it in and letting people tag up. So their thought was, okay, well now our defensemen are going to have to handle the puck, and they're going to be these great puck handling defensemen. And it kind of bombed, and it's not a rule anymore. They switch back. So I think that is another example of something that you just kind of have to let play out for a few years. Um, he also uh, mentions that uh, the Kings had a buzzer beater, and they reviewed the time on the clock when the puck went in, but they didn't review whether or not the timekeeper started the clock at the right time. You remember this? It was an overtime goal. They yes, scored against I do. Uh, Boston yep. in the last two yep. seconds. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yes, they should probably review the timekeeper too, right? Or no? I guess, but I mean, that's no, look. Do you want like a Big Brother society on absolutely everything, or do you, do you want to have a little bit of real life human element in the game? I don't. I, I I'm not worried about that. I mean, the timekeepers are guys who get paid like nothing to come in every game, and they basically get to wear a jacket for free that says NHL on it, and that's their pay for the game. And you know, unless they want to start paying these guys real money to do a thorough, absolute bang up job. Which they already do anyway, because they're usually really like retired guys or semi-retired guys who are really passionate about the game. So leave these guys alone. You don't need to put a you know fucking camera on the timekeeper. <laughs> All right, uh, this that, one, this is you know big deal. This they one's pro- do a good job. This one's a good one for you. You can just run with this one. Did the Avs naming a young captain contribute to their fall? What lessons are there for the Sabers who seem destined to name their own young captain? Yeah, it's a tough call. Uh, you know, it's a younger man's game now, but yet, you know, the Avalanche gave it to the youngest guy in history. I don't think he was ready for that at all. I think it was an awkward situation in the Avalanche room. Gabe Landeskog is a is a quality kid, but he wasn't ready to be a captain of that team. He had an awkward situation in the room where guys had seniority over him. By the way, one of those was Ryan O'Reilly, who probably deserved it over Gabe Landeskog, but... They thought Landis God was the longer-term play in Colorado, and they had Greg Sherman and Joe Sacco as the uh, management duo, the coach and GM. And, um, it's still an awkward situation. I don't think they have the, the perfect captain in Gabe Landis Still, I still think they have a leadership problem on the avalanche. Uh, I think he's a quality kid, nothing against him personally. I don't think he's a, he's a leader of men yet. Uh, he's only still like 24 years old. Whatever, 25. Uh, so be careful what you do, but yet it is a younger man's game. I think you have to really be careful, though. You don't want to name some some crusty old vet just because he's been around 18 years. Like Either Brian Gianta? Yeah, you need to play it. You need to really – you need to have a really smart person in the room who knows the room and, and can give that, that C uh, with, with, with true uh, merit and not – just because, oh, yeah, he's 19. He's our future leader. Let's name him now. If you're not ready, you're not ready. Captains do mean something in hockey. It, it, it matters. It does and, matter. Uh, and and don't, don't, don't just do it out of uh, like a, a, a absent-minded thing. You need to spend some time on this and do it right. This is a really interesting one. It's one that I think I definitely – I think it could be a good change in a league that needs more scoring. Uh, it's the idea that 
minor penalties would be treated like majors, where if you take a two-minute hooking penalty, you're just in the box for two minutes, whether you score one goal or three. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, scoring is up this year. Uh, I think it's a little over six goals a game right now. So we're at a we're at a higher scoring pace right now than we have been in years, like many years. So that's A. B, eh, I don't think so. I think it's – I still – I don't I don't think that's the right thing. I think okay, maybe – Okay, let's go this way then. Hold on. So you don't want yeah. to do that. What would you do to try and increase scoring? Is there something you would do or you would just do nothing? Yeah. Because here's my problem with the increased scoring. Right now the scoring is up because the players haven't adjusted to the way they're calling slashing yet. It's just like when we came out of the lockout the first time. There was all these new rules and it took players to adjust. And for that first season, uh, scoring was up because power plays were way up. Eventually, two things happened. The players adjusted to the rules and the refs got laxed. They didn't keep the same standard that they always had. And scoring went right back to where it was. So I'm not going to be moved too much by the increase in scoring so far. I still think it's a problem for the league. I still think they need more goals. So this idea I kind of like because it doesn't change the integrity of the game too much. You're not changing the size of the net. You're not taking players off the ice. You're just making a player serve their penalty. Uh, if you don't like that one, give me one you like. What would you do to improve uh, scoring in the league? Uh, I, I would have made the net just a little bit bigger. I know that's yeah. I think that's heretical. so hokey. It's just... I still think another inch. I think another inch would have been okay. Like these, this goalie equipment got so much bigger over the years. Why not make the net a little bit bigger? I know they've scaled it back down, but goalies still cheat. Um, I don't think I'd do the two minute penalty thing though. You have to serve the whole time. I, maybe in certain situations I would. Right. We already est- we already established that you wouldn't do that one. So give me one okay. you would do. I mean. Um, I would probably play. Uh, oh boy, I might change some of the icing rules. I, I would probably penalize teams that ice it, ice the puck a little bit harder. I would. Uh, I might make it five on four until until uh, uh, the other team gains possession, or maybe I, I, that'd be too complicated. I, I I do think maybe I'd like to penalize a team that ices the puck a little bit harder. I know. You get the face off in the other zone, but I, I might. So maybe uh, then you like the idea uh, that USA Hockey is implementing, and you wouldn't allow icing on penalties. Maybe. Yeah, uh, I think that's okay. I try that. I think the, I think the scoring is going to be okay, though, Steve. I think we've got I don't. so much more skill. No. I think we have much better third and fourth lines in the, in the league now than we did a few years ago that have skill that actually can score a goal. Yeah, I know it's still harder for those guys but you don't have these scrub goon fourth lines anymore in the league that just you know aren't going to score i think you you get a few more goals from these guys uh, if you're a fourth line player now and you don't have 10 goals a year you're generally considered a, a terrible player and you're not going to get called back in the league whereas opposed you know the older days you get a guy got one goal and 80 you know 238 penalty minutes and you're considered a good player i think those guys are out so yeah, I'd like to see the net one more inch bigger. I'd like to see icing cheat crack down a little more on the on the PK. Uh, other than that, I think you you got to keep. I think we're on a decent path. I, I think we have a lot of. I think we have more offense per se that we did a few years ago. Uh, we have more net action chances. We have more scoring chances. 
We still have really good goalies, though. They're getting better, and defensemen are getting better. So it's a, I just think it's a better skill game. But uh, don't make it so cheap to get a goal that you, then you get, then you turn it into indoor soccer either. I don't want to see that either. Yeah, I, I guess I disagree. So I have to disagree on this just because I don't think scoring is high enough, and I don't think the answer to increase scoring is that third line grinders get more goals. I want to see the stars in the game get more goals, have more room. Uh, I want to see 50 goal scorers, not 10 goal scorers. So I would definitely maybe try the power play thing. It's worth a shot. Maybe give it a year in the AHL, see how it how it goes there first. I'm not saying you have to implement it in the NHL first. Uh, you can try this in other places, but something I would consider. Uh, but I think the people who run this league that are supposedly smarter, but, smarter than us, I do think they need to come up with something. But but I don't, I'm not I'm gonna give me I'm gonna be bored after a while watching one team with more guys on the ice score a goal against a team with fewer guys on the ice like that to me is not really wonderful thing to watch you know that's that's that should happen that's easy that's easy. I don't know, you know there's five there's, guys against four you score a goal great good for it you. doesn't good change job. how often people are off the ice really. I mean when someone doesn't score on the power play you still watch them for two minutes five on four. You're not making the penalties longer. You know, do you want to see a game that's just half-court hockey, so to speak, and just, you know, peppering a goalie and, and getting cheaper goals, or do you want to see a real goal that's I don't think – I just disagree that it's making a it cheaper hockey. It's just enforcing the penalty for the entire two minutes. Well, you know – It's not asking it's, you to call more penalties or less. The penalty. It's not penal, penalty enough that you got scored on from it. You know, should you pay twice for a penalty? Yeah, maybe. You know what I like that they do in college? If you get scored on on a delayed penalty, you still have the penalty. I like that, too. I think it's worked out really well in college. Uh, doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's a it's a big moment in the game. It's a cool moment. Yeah. Eh. Uh, no, I'm going to disagree today mostly for the most part there. But I, I would like to see more icing. Dater wants more one-to-one games. He doesn't want to have any of this scoring. I mean, good goaltending is good as is good good hockey too. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll do this more often. Uh, it's at Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter. You can find us there, and you can anytime you want to send us something you want us to debate. Go ahead, and we'll we'll work it in. Uh, we'll look for them specifically every once in a while when we want a topic for the show, like we did this week, but. Uh, uh, real quick before we go, let's talk about the league real quick. Uh, the Blues, 13-5-1. Where, yeah. where do you stand on the Blues? Uh, Are the Blues the best team in the league? No. Are they the no. best team in the West? Mm, no. I still think uh, Nashville's the best team in the West. Um, so, Blues got smoked last night, and uh, I think they lost the game before that. Um, good team though, good defense. Colton Pareko, damn, a lot of teams miss on him. Uh, still not enough overall. Jake Allen though is whatever the hell. That's a good story that I don't cover the NHL as a whole anymore. But somebody should do a good story on what the hell Jake Allen actually did when he remember he got sent home for mental reasons. Yeah, somebody needs to do a really deep dive story on what what the hell Jake Allen learned from that time at home and really get into it. I haven't read a good story yet about what he did. He's so, turned into an elite goalie. So uh, good goalie could steal it for them, but uh, still need another stick or two up front. So the answer to the question of who is the best team in the league is Tampa, right? 
They could be, yep. They look really good. I mean, they're 14-2-2. Really, really <laughs> so. Yep, yep. They look hell very good. I mean, damn it. They look really good. Stan calls backs. I mean, Hedman, the goaltending is good. There's absolutely nothing they don't have. I mean, uh, it looked like they won the Drew in trade for right now, too, when they got back. Uh, God, um, definitely a great team. Um, I think Ottawa Senators are going to be heard from, too. I think the Ottawa Senators might be the second-best team in their conference. They look damn good to me when I watch them play against the Avalanche. They have a lot of good, solid players. Guys you probably haven't even heard of, but they're good, hard players. They got Carlson. Craig Anderson's probably the question mark on that team, yet he's a really good goalie. So, Isn't uh, the real question mark, can can Carlson hang up? Is that is that foot going to yeah, hold up? Yeah, yeah. They need one more guy on D, probably. They, their D needs a little bit more stability back there. But, you know, Carlson's just, I mean, just a hell of a good player. I mean, they've got a really good, solid core forwards, though. Like, Mark Stone, he's a good player. He might be the most uh, underrated under-publicized, really good player. Yeah, it's a good forward. He's good. Uh, Hoffman's good. So, Yeah, Stone has 12 goals, which is – there's only three guys with more I, than him. I know. He's good. I saw him play for, like, really paid attention to him, and he's he's strong. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay, Ottawa, you know, Nashville – and uh, gosh, I think I think Chicago's on the downswing. I think they're going to fall fall apart at some point soon. I think Chicago Blackhawks have got a lot of problems. John Hayden, notwithstanding, great young Yale product, good good quality player. Though. I think they've got some problems. Chicago. I don't know why I just switched to Chicago all of a sudden. But as a team that I think still could win a cup, I also think they could fall apart just as fast. So I'm fascinated by what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Other good. I mean, you know, look, I mean, Pittsburgh's going to be heard from again. I know Crosby's getting some some bad press right now with, like, what's wrong with Sidney Crosby's stories I'm starting to read. Look pretty damn good like, tonight. Come yeah, come on. Don't do that again, really. If like, Sidney Crosby said, wants to take half the year off, take half the year off, you know? I mean, yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh... After that, I don't know if there's any other great teams in the league. You know? All right, last uh, thing. There's a debate going on in Buffalo. Let's cover. This is the last thing I want to cover. So Mike Harrington has kind of stirred this up. You know how Mike's, Mike likes to stir some Mike shit, right? Mike never does that. <laughs> no, I can't believe that. Mike likes to Mike, stir his shit. Mike Harrington does some stuff that's contrary in no way. All right, so two teams are in the, the heat of this debate, the Sabres and the Oilers. All right, so the mm-hmm. Oilers through 17 games are 6, 9, and 2. Uh, and they are one of the lower scoring teams in the NHL. The Sabres, seventeen games, are five, nine, and three. Also one of the lower scoring teams in the NHL. Now there's no debating that Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel are dynamite players, superstars in the league. But Mike believes that the culture that was created to earn the chance to have McDavid and Eichel is going to cause years of losing and frustration for the Oilers and the Sabres. He thinks that those teams have created a losing culture 
uh, in the room, in the cities. The whole idea of tank, although it may have resulted in them getting those two players, it has created a culture where winning hockey is not sustainable. And he is taking these first 18 games as his proof. These teams have dynamite centers, but they can't score and they're losers. And it's because of tanking. Adrian Dater, how do you respond to your colleague, Mike Harrington, mm. uh, who has been beating uh, this drum for a while now? You know, I love Mike. He's cast in my mold, but I would ask, well, Edmonton made the playoffs last year and won a round, so uh, that was with Bit David. So I would ask, what about that? Uh, Buffalo has not made the playoffs with Michael, so... <sighs> Ah, uh, no, I don't think it's that simple. I don't. I don't think. Do you believe in losing cultures? Do you think that's a thing? Yeah, yeah. I guess I could. Um, I think it depends on how how long you keep certain management people around. I think Buffalo's made a lot of changes, though. They're trying to change that culture, and like the Detroit Lions or something. The Browns, yeah, they yeah. have the same management. Browns, Boston Bruins, forever had the same dumpy group of people. They always made one one round and out. You know, Harry Sinden and Jeremy Jacobs, who Hall of right. Famer, baby, Buffalo, Hall of New Famer, York. Yeah, great job, Jeremy Jacobs. <laughs> uh, what a what a great credit to hockey. Only you know, thank you for the four lockouts you helped and. Uh, he was the man. He was the man of the lot. He made sure we had those lockouts. Beers that we pay for for and fifty dollar parking. Thank you, Jeremy Jacobs, for all you've done for hockey. So, yeah. dude's, a, uh, dude's a stud. What an owner! Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's a, such a. He had so much to do with the Bruins winning that eleven cup too. Well, yeah, his, he demanded they traded Joe Thornton. He demanded. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I don't think it's that simple. I think you just yeah have a you have a bad ten years as a as a as a franchise and it can be chalked up to so many things. Buffalo Sabres had a really strong winning culture for a long time for probably as good as a team without winning Stanley Cup had for a long long time. Some of those some of those still same people are around the organization. So I don't know. My you know, I, th- I guess my I my so. comeback to Mike is like, you know what? In the end, let's look at the teams that have won the cups the last 10 years and almost all of them have guys picked first overall. Yep. Right. I mean, right. the Blackhawks core is based on a first and a third overall pick. Yep. Right. The um, Penguins are based on a first and a second overall pick. Yep. Um, who else has won the cup? <laughs> uh, the Kings have won it a couple times, right? Uh, oh. Drew Doughty, second overall pick. That's right. Uh, basically, the uh, the star of their team in the the last cup they won. He was the best player in the whole playoffs. Um, Tampa Bay. Tampa no, Bay. Steve uh, Stamkos is a first overall pick. Yeah, no, actually, they didn't win a cup with him though. Uh, let me let me get up the Stanley Cup winners because for yeah, some, yeah 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 because for some reason Boston won in eleven. Uh, I don't think they had a first first overall pick, but well, they had Sagan, right? Who was second? That's right. That's right. He was on that team too. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Well, duh. Yeah, teams with that's right. And and the Sabers had the second overall pick with Eichel, and and it's the Oilers were first. 
But like the Oilers are just off to a slow start. They're they're a good team. They made the playoffs last year, and they were they're damn almost won that series too. So the Sabers, I think he's coming at it from a, just a Buffalo. You know, let's face it, the Buffalo Sabers still are a team that can't get the fuck out of the basement, and we are. We're all, I'm sure everybody's just pointing fingers there in Buffalo. You're you included, and and and. Uh, but I don't think you can lump in. Buffalo with with Edmonton right now, and just say that I'm losing culture. I mean, you know, first of all, Edmonton's got a lot of winning culture in their history. Uh, McDavid is going to make that team good eventually. Like, that's just I don't know. I think they've had a weird start. That's all. But yeah, Buffalo is an interesting case, and I would be interested more in what you think is a losing culture. Buffalo that could be more of a application to say about Buffalo than. Than many other teams because let's face it, it has been a losing damn team for a few years now. Yeah, well, I just think that a mistake they made is that they tried to kind of middle the rebuild for a couple of years there. Yep, and yep. that that just it just didn't work. You know, for Billy some teams, so some teams maybe it does. Yeah, when the new owner came in, he wanted to spend a lot of money, and yep. he couldn't get Brad Richards, so he went to the next best guy, which happened to be Billy yep. Leno, and it yeah. just didn't work out. You know, and um, and and that 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 set them back a bit. And then when they decided that that wasn't working, they decided the only other thing they could do was bottom out. So they bottomed out, and no matter how good Eichel is, and he's been great, he's lived up to the expectations, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. it's not his fault he hurt his ankle. That was a bummer, yeah. you know. But that, but you know, he was much better last year than the year before. And the first year, I thought he was very good, considering the circumstances. And this year, I mean, they've played 17 games. He has 16 points. Um, yeah, so he's really. What, what about the Evander Kane thing, though? Too don't you think some of that goes back to the fact that he scored a, Myers he wins two the points. Calder Trophy, and they never got somehow the Myers thing never got all effed up. You know, I know Kane's had some points, but he's never, never. You know, do you really think you're going to be a winning? Stanley Cup team with Evander Kane, like a, don't Myers is supposed to be the stud defenseman for twenty years there, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Don't you think that's where no went back no, no? I, again I think Sorry. that it doesn't make like I don't understand the knee jerk to point the finger at the few players who have been good. Kane got two points again tonight, a goal and assist again tonight. I think he's almost at twenty points. Like yeah. I have no problem with Evander Kane. He's been dynamite. He wasn't. Very, he wasn't very good that first year. Okay, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. They weren't good. Who cares if he wasn't that good? They weren't good. They, if he would have been won the Hart Trophy, they still would have finished in last place. Yeah. Well, how how good? How, right. They, that, they that's a place. Have, don't have a goalie. That's a place to start. That's, that's somewhere you start. Not with. Not with Eichel or Kane. I just don't get that. Um, yeah, I'm just saying. What I'm saying is Myers was supposed to be like a great player, but he wasn't though. But he he's just not wasn't. Team. He wasn't though. He was supposed yeah, to be and wasn't. Calder, like we're all right. And like, what a what a dime, you know Tyler Myers, you know, gonna be a stud. You know, I guess everybody overhyped him after that first year. I mean, he won the Calder Trophy, for God's sakes. And how many Norris trophies has he won since? None. I know, but Has he I'm even been is, close? What, what has he done in Winnipeg? What has he done in Winnipeg? That, that, make... That's what I'm saying, if you listen for a second, is that he, his lack of being going to the next level, I think, 
just automatically hurt Buffalo because he was supposed to be the number one defenseman that lasted forever there. And all of a sudden, you got to trade him for a forward who, granted, has some nice numbers at times, but, you know, has also had his share of you know, ups and downs in the league. And somehow I think that's where, to me, that's where Buffalo got stunted for a while was the Tyler Myers thing. But I may be totally off this. Uh yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about Tyler Myers. It would have been if he would have been great, like his first year, if that if he would have been that player, maybe that we're talking about another playoff appearance or two for the team, but he just wasn't. So I didn't have any problem with that moving on. I mean in theory, yeah, it would have been great if he was Drew Doughty, but he's just not. Well that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, he didn't go to that. Okay, yeah. Like, he was supposed that's to be a, a, that's a bummer. Buffalo for years, but all of a sudden you gotta trade him for a guy like Kane who's well, I think up in, and down. I think in general they've they've had too many guys that were supposed to be guys and just haven't been. You know, you could put him on the list, you know, you could put uh uh Gergensen's on the list. You know, a first round pick was a great first year, and you think, Wow, this guy's gonna be great and he just never is any better than he was that first year. You know, they've had yeah. so many guys like that, like just a guy. That never reaches his full potential. So, organizationally, you know they've been so bad in Rochester for all these years too. They need to improve organizationally. All right, real quick, the 2011 Bruins had two top five picks on their team. Nathan Horton, who was actually one, two, three, fourth on that team in scoring, was the third overall pick, and Tyler Sagan uh, was a second overall pick. Uh, also. Since 2010, uh, the Stanley Cup champions are the Blackhawks, the Bruins, the Kings, and the Penguins. That is it. Uh, so, not a lot of teams. Uh, what about the Blackhawks? Uh, the Blackhawks have here. Pat Kane, first overall, and Jonathan Taves, third overall. Right, right, but yeah, you didn't mention them. Oh, I did. First. Yeah. Okay. They won in 2010, 2013, and 2015. Uh, I, thought, I thought I missed the 13 part. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well... Um, so yeah, I don't yeah. think tanking was a, is, is a problem. I think well, I think the problem is the team that was built around Eichel. You know, when uh, Tim Murray uh, made that draft pick, he had a ton of NHL capital. He had a ton of young players, a loaded farm system, a ton of cap space, and an owner was ready to spend money. And he made his team. He traded a first-round pick for Robin Leonard. That was going to be his goalie. Not Martin Jones. He went for Leonard. Um, Martin Jones has been the better of the two. Uh, he made the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which we can't even agree on whether or not the Sabres won that trade or not. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. He didn't kill it. You know, uh, he traded for Vander Kane. You know, he he made his he made his moves. He made his trades, and he never built a defense. And they just they just didn't get over the hump. He maybe hired the wrong coach. That's another thing he got to do. He took a big swing, uh, big swing for Babcock and missed. Went to the next. More, next I'm guy. interested in the Tim Murray story as an outside observer. Like, what what do people in Buffalo think of him now? Even like they think he stunk. Uh, they think he yeah. had he had the 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 keys to the car uh, with the most the most NHL capital they've maybe ever had. And he spent it all and got last place teams for his return. He always struck me as a guy who needed to maybe to you know take a little decaf. You know, he drafted Sam Reinhart. He could have drafted any forward from that draft. There 
you know, the first pick yeah. was a defenseman. Um, and we had the second pick. And he didn't pick Dreisaitl. He picked Reinhardt. How about this for a theory, too, is now, now that we're just BSing about guys like Murray. Did the NHL teams jump the gun a little bit with all these hiring of young guys as GMs? Whereas, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Florida would totally bomb wave, out. The new wave of GMs like John Chaka in Arizona, Joe Sackett even in Colorado, Murray in Buffalo. Who did Florida uh, hire? Whoever Florida hired sucked. Florida, yeah. they, they hired all these... Uh, Analytic guys, right? Guys. Yeah. Plus these guys from like the military or something that thought their military way of doing things was going to build a hockey winner. Like fucking failure there. You know, they had Dale Talent who was a good hockey guy building things and then they blow it up for some kind of data analytics shit. Um, Toronto had uh, the what's-his-face guy who was supposed to be the next coming of the Jesus Christ in, Denver, in hockey. You know what I'm talking about? I forgot his name, too, but he was an uh, analytics guru. Then all of a sudden, they bring in Lou Lamorello <laughs> to steady things, you know? Right. So the question is, did hockey teams jump the gun on these young analytics hires as GMs? I think it's a fair question to ask right now. I yeah, think Murray, I, I think he's probably one of them. I think the answer is probably yes. You know what I think it's kind of like is, you know, they have that Black Monday in football every year, and there's like seven openings. And every year, yeah. And every there's like seven openings, right? And every year, like three teams hire a guy we we already knew, right? You know, like they'll hire like Marty yeah. Schottenheimer, you know, whatever, like yeah. like a, a guy we all know. Yeah. yeah. And then the other four teams hire a first time coach who is the top coordinator, yeah. right? And sometimes, right. sometimes when you hire that guy, he ends up being Sean Payton or Mike McCarthy, right? And he wins the Super Bowl. But sometimes yeah. you hire that guy, and you find out. Oh, he's not a he's a great yeah. coordinator, but he's not a good head coach. Like you know? right here in Denver right now with Vance Joseph and uh the Miami's coordinator is takes over as everybody's screaming for his head right now. Right, like they yeah. probably could have hired Wade Phillips. He was right there, right? Oh I know. But I know they let him go to LA Rams and he's all oh, oh by the way, all he's done is turn around their whole team defense. Right, but instead uh, of doing that, they went the young and experienced yeah. and it and so yeah. far it hasn't worked out. So I think that yeah. it's kinda like yeah. that with these GMs, right? Where yeah. you could have hired Lou Lamorello or you could hire, you know, Tim Murray. Yeah. And Even in Colorado, you had that before that. We had Greg Sherman as the GM before Joe Sackett, this this number cruncher. You know, was supposed to be good at math, and that makes him good to run a team. Well, that didn't work out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, now there's a bunch of other teams we're missing here, too. Like, I mean... Um, you know, even Boston... Well, no, they, they hired... Uh, Sweeney, they right? Hired Don Sweeney. Sweeney, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're, but, not, uh, they're not happy with him. Um, He's getting crushed for those three draft picks he made back to back to back. I know. What do you have, 13, 14, and 15 in that one draft? And it's just doesn't look good. Yeah. It's still, they're still an okay team, though. He gets lucky with a couple of guys like Pasternak and, you know, I mean, Charlie McAvoy's a stud. Right. Yeah, McAvoy's so, great. He's, he's going to be real deal. All right. So, so but. Yeah, younger guys in the NHL hasn't quite worked out. The analytics thing hasn't quite panned out, and the NHL has it. No, unless you say that the Blackhawks are a team that have focused on analytics. Mm, have they really, though? I think Stan Bowman 
has been. Some people you know, say they have. The, some people say the Kings have too. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Dean Lombardi was a huge analytics guy either. I think he had some elements to that, but uh, yeah, my know, my they, theory they, on they, those teams is, is they use yeah, analytics. I think but... that's just John's team. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not anti. I'm not anti-analytics. What I'm saying is neither am I. I think you just need a mix. We have the, we haven't had the uh, you know Billy Bean Theo Epstein effect really no. work in the NHL yet. We've had guys that have been hired at their ages, but it hasn't worked out yet. Just just look at John Chaka in Arizona. Right. All right, let's do some plugs real quick. Uh, Adrian Dater is available on Twitter at a Dater. Many of you follow him there. He's also at BSN Denver. He does podcasts. He writes articles. He's full-time on the Avalanche Beat this year. Uh, check out his work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. And the Sportscasters podcast, I try to put one out about every tw- 10 days or so. And I got this. Yep. I got one this Girl. week. Got the one this week. Uh, I'm a little different. Uh, I'm talking to Mike Triplett uh, from ESPN Nation. He covers the Saints full-time for ESPN Nation. So the Saints are 7-2. Yep. and two. We're going to talk to him a little bit about them. And then I'm going to have some fun and talk a little wrestling. It's Survivor Series week, uh, and Brian Alvarez uh, from the Wrestling Observer uh, will do that for fun. Uh, so you can check that out later this week. Um, I think last week I had Brian Curtis from Ringer. The executive, I think he's yeah. the executive editor at Ringer. Um, we talked. A he's bunch- a good writer. I like him. Yeah, we I talked like about him. a bunch he's of a different. Writer. We talked a lot about that barstool fiasco at ESPN. Yeah, what was up with that? Yeah, what do you think of that? Oh, I have to listen to that. Then. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, that was fun. And who is the other one on there? Um, oh, Mike Shope. Uh, he does talk radio here in Buffalo. I have him on like once a year uh, and talk to him about talk take. radio. Yeah, you real quick take pandering to the lowest common denominator, the best thing long-term for financial today's world, like via Barstool, or do you still try to do quality and grind it out and win in the long run there too? Uh, I think you have to find something that's still quality, although some people might look at it as lowest common denominator. <laughs> right? Because I think you can have both. Wow, we got layoffs at SI, ESPN. Supposedly um, there's going to be huge, yeah, huge ESPN layoffs this week, right? Before Thanksgiving. Everybody who's trying to do real good quality journalism just gets laid off. And people like, you know, Barcelona, who I like, by the way. I like. Yeah, I don't like it as much as you do. I don't like it as much as you do. I don't like everything at Barcelona. I just don't, don't get, get it. Wrong. I don't get I like what's funny about guys. it. I like, the, I like the sucky guys at Barcelona. I like the Spit and Chickens podcast. I think they do a good job. They're funny to listen to. They're just funny guys. I, I, that's what I like. But. Do I sit and read Barcel for quality sports content? Uh, hell, HD double hockey sticks, no. But uh, but that's that's what fucking sells now, man. So do you sell out or not? Or do you want to get laid off and do quality work? I mean, what, what choose choose your side? I think you got to do whatever you got to do to to stay employed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sad man. I don't know. I, All right. I, I am 50 I minutes. I am 50 minutes over. So I have got to close this one out. We will be back. Come on, man. Let's talk for another 50. <laughs> I have other obligations this evening. Um, <laughs> but How's the kid? How's Paula? She's good. She's looking forward to Christmas. She's in Christmas. Yeah. Mode. Yeah. One year old, right? One and a half. Yep. Right, so her second Christmas. Yep, her second Christmas. Last year, she was not yeah. not really an active participant. 
Yeah, not really, not yeah. really a cognizant presence. No, she's only there. six months old, so she's she's ready yeah. to roll this year. So yeah, she still okay. loves hockey. She watches every day. She watches uh, hockey highlights. She does. She yeah, hockey. yeah. She says go, go. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, I got a 13 year old son here, Tommy, who's not a day over, you know, freaking 25 here, the way he acts in the house. So I don't <laughs> know. It's just remember me well here if I don't last the year or two more because the kids, the kids wearing me out. All right. Hang on. Starting to text, starting to Snapchat with a girl, I think, on text, which. That's you know that's that's the bombshell in my life is that he's he's actually trying to talk to a girl on on Snapchat. So I don't know where to go from there. I think I just I just go to bed and take my pill and go to bed at that point. <laughs> to me, that'd be the opposite of a bombshell. I'd be I'd be like, well, I can't even say what I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let's just let's stop while. Wow, we're both still employable. Uh, To whatever degree we're actually employable. Let's stop now. Uh, And uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week or the week after, whenever the hell we feel like it. But uh, we'll let you know. Yeah, I want to put a personal shout out to Adrian Davis and our fans. Give us a go to to Lonely End of the Rink on our iTunes page. Give us a, a. I've had success doing this on my other podcast. Just. Go on there. Give us a rating, even if you have to click five stars and just not even think about it, or leave us a word or two of praise. Um, yes, as a please. Review. That Take matters. Ten seconds, and then it's free. Click the subscribe button on it and get to downloaded your devices for free, and uh, that helps us out. That makes us feel better about doing what we do, and uh, you know, um, I think we laxed a little bit on selling that part of it. So I'm gonna put out a personal appeal right now, Adrian Dater telling, asking the listeners here to please give us a review, subscribe and uh, a five-star rating or a two-star rating or one-star rating. If that's what you feel, just give us a rating. Let us know you exist out there. And by the way, uh, ask around because the people who have helped us spread the word about this show, I get sports books in the mail almost every day and they pile up and I like to, Go to the UPS store and mail them to people who have helped me. So ask ask people. They'll tell you. I've sent them out to people who have helped us spread the word about this podcast. I don't ask them to do anything. I just see that they do it. I ask for the address, and I send a book. By the way, I talked to three scouts recently at different arenas. They also like they live, they're regular listeners to uh, Lonely and the Rink podcast. We're like experienced hockey scouts. Listen to us. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, with that said, I'll do more prep next week then. I don't want to disappoint the scouts. Mm. They're out there. They're listening. <laughs> All right, bud. Guys from like Saskatoon to uh, Red Deer, you know, for their scouting trips. So they, they listen to a lot of stuff. All right, bud. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Thanks for everybody listening. And uh, Steve, all the best. We'll talk to you next week.
Oh